Welcome. You're listening to Reality Events Podcast. We're a business podcast all about taking boring business events and making them enchanting experiences. I'm your host, Riel Jones. This week's podcast theme is verbal communication. Let's jump right into it. Before you begin event planning, you have to know why you are hosting the event. There's no right reason for the event you're hosting or to host an event, but you need to know why. I've jotted down 10 different reasons why businesses host events, and maybe one of them resonates with you, and maybe one of them will motivate you to move forward with the event that you're thinking about. And by the end of this podcast episode in this week's podcast, you'll be able to really effectively communicate your event purpose, feel confident in the way that you're communicating it, as well as the way that it will be received by others. So number one, you want to get to know someone one-on-one. A great way for you to really get to know a potential client or donor outside of the formal stuffy setting where you feel like a car salesman of, okay, create this one or go into this donor giving circle or whatnot. And it can feel kind of heavy handed being a social setting, whether it's a small dinner or taking five to 10 people you heard on Wednesday for, <laughs> where you're taking five or 10 people to a, a really nice dinner, which we'll delve into what that looks like in a little bit. And you're getting to know who they are, why they are in the field that they're in, what they're passionate about. And also you're able to kind of connect what the your business or nonprofit stands for and how that ties into what they're doing. And this is really great for you to make stronger and more longer lasting connections in relationships. Two, you want to make new friends within that industry. You might be new to a new field or a new city and you want to introduce yourself to everybody or you're at that point where you've been networking a while and you want to bring everybody together so that they feel a sense of this is who you are because it is something powerful when you are able to bring all your connections in one room and those people can say, wow, I'm not the only person in this arena or at this level or thinking this way that they know and they are interacting with while there's other people like this and then it gives them again another deeper feeling of knowing who you are and feeling connected going back to number one getting to know someone it kind of has that same effect at the end of the day um as you're making new friends number three you're thanking someone for a favor a lot of times when you're in the philanthropic community this means you're thanking them for a sponsorship, whether it's in-kind or monetary, or having a volunteer team come out and do X, Y, and Z. This can be an awesome way of really getting everyone to see how much you appreciate what they're doing, but also let them know this is the end result and the impact that was created by the work that you've done. And it has that full circle moment. It's kind of like, and this could sound very corny, but what I think about when I read a lot of, or when I was in high school and we had to read a lot of the 
I forgot what period it was, like agricultural type of books where people are on the farm, stuff like that, and they talk about harvest and the whole harvest season, everybody's kind of laboring out there and it's not fun. But at the end of the harvest season, when all the crops are, are ready to um, be enjoyed, everybody comes together and they get to see this is what we've created. And it's just a really great bonding time of, like, we've toiled, we've done all this stuff, we sacrificed, and this is the end product. And so that's kind of how I feel about number three, the thanking someone for a favor or a sponsorship. Number four, show them who you are. Through your events, you tell people, this is what I care about, this is my standards, this is how my team runs, this is how we handle chaos and confusion, or things not working out the way that we planned because that's what happens at events. No event's going to run perfectly to the plan, but that's why you prepare and you let people know this is what you're supposed to do, this is what's supposed to happen. Because when something doesn't happen, they know this is a standard and we're filling another thing in for that. This is what we should do to kind of bridge that gap so that at the end of the day, you're not panicking of how will it play out, X, Y, and Z. Anyways, um... Events are a really great way to tell people who you are, but a lot of times what I, I see at corporate events, especially, I mean, and also nonprofit events too, but having very generic, clean-cutter events that, yes, they look clean and crisp, or yes, they fit certain things, but at the end of the day, they don't, move, they don't move you, and they don't tell you anything unique and great about that specific company or organization or business. It's kind of like what David Ripple talked about in episode one of really using, having an event planner or someone to help you use your event decor and design to tell your story. And if you're in the nonprofit world, storytelling is a term that you hear a lot and you're very comfortable with. And so it's something that you also have to translate into your events. You want to sell someone on your new product, plans, and projects. That's what I have for number five you know, launch party. We have a lot of them in Atlanta, so y'all probably know what I'm talking about. Number six, you want to repay someone's hospitality. When I've done a lot of events, either um, overseas or, I mean, with international delegates here, whether we've hosted, they've hosted things at certain embassies in D.C. or we've done events at an embassy in D.C. and we want to show them thank you as an organization or a cause or a group, we want to show them the other party thank you for welcoming us into your country, to your space, into your whatever. And um, this is how, and now let me welcome you into ours, kind of. Number seven, you want to acquire more information and ask for assistance. That's a really great way of help having other people help you brainstorm through problems and challenges that you've had so we can think about hackathons hackathons especially if you're in the tech world you're probably more familiar with but they're becoming they're increasingly becoming more familiar uh, common in other spaces even the social realm and basically the structure of hackathon um, a lot of them are like overnight or whatnot but you have a problem and it's kind of like crisis zone you're there with your team they give you the problem and they give you these all your constraints right it's kind of like uh 
updated model UN. And for the tech people, it's like, how can you fix this with whatever? So they might build a robot or they might build an app or some kind of software that addresses this or captures some information, X, Y, and Z. Or it helps them, you, you get it. Helps them village you, whatnot. Yeah, you get it. And then they present it and then everybody judges it. Well, at the end of the day, the hosting institution now has a lot of different strategies for solving the problem with the resources that they knew they had. And it's really helpful because, you know, in real life, you'll learn different tools of how to do something and you'll become really good at them and you master them. But then you'll get to a challenge. And we talked about this before in episode one, where those tools might not help you over a certain hump, you know, and you need someone else who might have other tools within that same field that gives you to the same goal that your tools were supposed to get you to, you know, there's different things for you to use to cut something, but, you know, a dagger and scissors, they both can cut, but one might be easier and get you there quicker and stuff like that, right? So, um, it's a really great way of having other people give you ideas. And that's not the only, the only event, but there's other events and stuff like that, but you get it. Number nine, you want to polish your company's image. You want people to... Oh, sorry. Number eight. Sorry. <laughs> Number eight, you want to set yourself as a thought leader. So when you bring the people together, especially people in a specific field, um, your field, you then make yourself the top person. So like in Atlanta, or if if you're from the African-American community or you've done like around the like ethnic hair, you might know like the Barnard Brothers and their shows and whatnot. Well, because they've done these events, you automatically think of all the products or stuff around them as being the best in black hair care um, or the real products for black health, um, for black hair um, that could really do the trick. Um, and you might wait for their shows all year to see, okay, also what's next? What are they going to bring out? And what are the other people in this industry going to do? They position themselves as that person and as that company all because they hosted these events and they're able to execute it a certain way and, and have other people buy into it and they bring their best, all the different people who who do the hair, act in the hair shows and buy booths in X, Y, and C because Barnard Brothers, they're not there all year at each individual shop and getting them ready and stuff like that. There's other people buying into their ideas and bringing their best. But now they're positioned somewhere a little differently. And now Carol's daughter might have to work harder or she might have, or they might have to buy more in marketing or more strategic partnerships that might not be fully, you know, theirs or whatnot. So it's really interesting, but you can really polish your company's image and which was number nine. Okay. But you can create yourself as a thought leader and moving into that, using those really well done events, um, that people come back to because they, they say, wow, it's better than everybody else who's doing the same thing. Because at the end of the day, what we'll talk about next are the different types of events that you do. Your event is going to fit into a specific structure. No matter how much you bedazzle it out, 
it's it's a certain type of shoe. It's a high heel. It's a flat. It's uh, you know, a sandal. It's a tennis shoe. It's a loafer, but it's it's a certain type of shoe. You can do as much you want to that shoe. It's a certain type of shoe, okay? Um, I've talked to a lot of people, and sometimes they're like, "Oh, we can't really articulate it. What we're doing, it's just you have to come there and see it." No, no, you better learn how to articulate it, because nobody's gonna come there. And at the end of the day, it's not gonna be. And if you can't articulate it, no one's gonna be able to execute it. And when you have an event, you're talking about teams on teams on teams being a part of this and buying in. And so um, you really want to make sure that within whatever sphere it is that you're executing it to the best that you can, that type of event. And it really does help polish the company's image and people's minds because it says this is who they are. And it gives us something tangible that they can go back to their friends and say, this is who you are versus, yeah, I saw this cool billboard and it was really sleek and it made me it alluded to something but past that illusion I just don't know what the substance is and I don't really have enough meat to tell someone this is what you're getting um at 10 you can assist a charity and raise money that's a great reason and why I think a lot of people listening might um be wanting to host an event so next now that you you know why you're hosting your event, your real purpose, and you do not feel shy in this at all. You can go out and feel confident that, yes, I'm doing this because this is, I want to get United Way, my my number one person, I'm, and I want to show them this is who we are. It's worth, it's worth it. Have that in your mind and move forward. And with that, you can then decide which the impression you want to make on them and the reason why you're reaching out to that person, of course. Um, but then you can decide which type of event will really highlight that purpose and put you in the best position in the eyes of the in, in the reason in in the eyes of the person you're trying to appeal to and reach out to. And so I have ten different types of events that corporations, businesses, and nonprofits, foundations host. Expos. So expos are for the masses. They're really big. Earlier I talked about a health and beauty one that I was a part of, which had about. 4,000, a little bit more than 4,000 visitors, um, which it, it was throughout the day. It was just quite a big uh, facilities that we took over. It ran well, very smoothly, but it's more about teaching the general public different, like crucial things that they need to know, whether it's about their hair or their health or protecting themselves or vacationing better, whatever it is, this is like the things you need to know that you probably wouldn't know otherwise. And also you are going to be connecting to everybody. Um, that's a hyperbole, but what feels like everybody in this, in this field. And so it's the host duty to get as many vendors as possible there so that they really feel like they, they're getting all the information they're getting a well they're leaving really knowledgeable about 
whatever the topic is and that they they know every everything that they should be thinking about even if it's not like the deepest level of you know even if they're not masters at each thing they kind of have an introduction to the different topics within that that overall umbrella concept that the expo is about next you can have a convention and trade shows these are for professionals who are trying to establish business connections between each other direct sales and um, launch new products within the industry and let other people know why they should use it in their businesses or they should buy it or why this is the hottest new thing and they should look out for it we have a car show here and we have industry day and i think that will kind of be the um the closest thing to that i that i would think of as a big thing up here um in the midwest it's also about yeah just business business relationships it's you might have some kind of classes within the bigger spaces but it's not about that it's about at the end of the day money and sales and you as the host want to be able to quote this is how much people on average um sell at their booths this is how much they sell when they have a, a little show or you know an open space x y and z like that and this is you know how many pre-sales they get pre-orders for the for the next quarter or year you also have conferences which is number three these are days with programmed um, panels or uh, discussion expert lectures that or the or interactive discussions around interest for scholars and professionals so it's someone who has an idea like i've read a lot on this topic or I'm learning about this and I want to know more or I'm working in this field and I'm interested in knowing what's next what can I be thinking about a conference is really great for them you're is fostering dialogue and sharing ideas you know um, and also nurturing you can nurture connections afterwards a lot of times if you're on the panel you'll get swarmed as we all know by everybody in the room who, who wants to trade information if you're one of those people who want to connect with the panelists it's your duty to promptly follow up and distinguish yourself and continue the conversation even if you don't get them the first time because you have to realize these are professionals with very demanding jobs which is why you're interested in them anyways but with very demanding lives and your email someone that they never really met and don't know and of course they'll know how much you care to know them or whatever um or how much this is important to you it's just another email and they might not see it or it might not resonate to them so you might have to follow up and that's your duty but really it's more about sharing knowledge and sharing like the dialogue and even for a lot of people having other professionals and or scholars in that space who are also starting to think about those things is really beneficial to them so they'll like to connect with each other equally as much as trying to connect with the um facilitator i mean the um yeah the panelists and whatnot you can have a summit summits are different from conferences they are um, days of coordinated meetings um between peer industry thought leaders so these are the people who there really is nobody 
higher in the field than they they are. They are meeting not for connection because for the most part, given their status and their level, they know everybody, you know, in the field and they kind of know each other. It's more about strategizing and they want to strategizing with other thought leaders and um, using their powers together to make change or to do whatever the plans are and to leave with that an actionable, an actionable plan for the future um, that they can they can start immediately. Number five, a gala. This is like a black tie event for the young girls that I've nannied um, over the years. This is what we think of as a ball. Um, typically, it's, it's to support a cause. This is a seated dinner um, with a reception no expense is really wasted. Uh, it's again a little bit indulgent. A ball, you are formal, um, and so when you want someone to wear their best, you have to provide your best. Um, we have number six cocktail hours. They last from an hour to two hours. Uh, finger food, cocktails, you know, professional small chat, really connecting with other people. And this structure is typically used also for networking events which in our episode about networking events and you'll see how I feel about people just using a typical cocktail party and saying network and go for it. Um, Feeding us to the fish or sharks or whatever. Um, Number seven, brunch. This is like a seated meal. It's the early afternoon. Typically you have an inspirational message or calls behind it, we're tackling a, a bad thing, we make it look pretty often feminine. So you use a lot of whites and light pinks and purples and that kind of stuff. And um, it feels very bright and airy. Sometimes this will, it'll be appropriate to have balloons when most of these um, event structures you don't use event, um, you don't use balloons for business events. So it's just more, and the for the menu, what makes it different from a breakfast is that you have full servings of meat, unlike, you know, sausage, sausage and bacon, and now you can have um, alcoholic beverages, like your mimosas. Number eight, you have round tables. These are like small powerhouse dinners um, in private rooms in restaurants. Usually, it's pretty intimate, 10 plus people that you think of you know, your best wine and steak dinners. And these are senior level executives who are meeting to um, come together to talk about a program partnership or um, thinking through a high level issue. So that you really wouldn't inform the public or you don't want the public to know about. Number nine, we have art exhibits. These are typically in open um, spaces, uh, these events feature original art throughout. Typically, they have live music, mediocre and bad wine, and a little bit cheese and crackers if you're lucky. Number 10, you have athletic events. They're based on any type of athletic activity that you can do. The more creative you can be with it, the wider... um, the pill will probably have. It is a way for participants to get moving, and typically they're used for 
charities and foundations and social causes to spread awareness. And people will have who are running or being in an obstacle course or participating in whatever the athletic events will have people who are not participating pledge on them and see how long that they can last. So those are the 10 different types of events. There are more, but those are the main ones that I can, I could think of that are in person. You have other ones that are not in person, of course, like webinars or whatnot. Um, but let's pause there before we get into, are you a good conversationalist or a public speaker? Now, are you a good conversationalist or do you just think you are? Be brutally honest with yourself right now. No one's listening. No one's here. It's just you and me. How much did you zone out when people talk to you? Or do you repeat the exact same phrase and sentence you used a few nights before at another business networking event? Because it landed and it seemed smart and it's the easiest thing to do because you worked all day and you really didn't want to be here. It's another boring event. We've all done it. But the thing about doing that is it leaves an impression on people. And it's all about verbal communication, how we communicate who we are, what we're doing, and how interested we are in other people. And so I really want us to talk about what it's like being a good conversationalist. And when you're thinking about that, you're thinking about how do you navigate the conversation? So when you see something getting a little testy and too much, are you pulling back and shifting so that people aren't getting riled up or they're not being felt, um, being flooded with feelings and emotions that, okay, because a lot of times these public business events are not the space for, while maybe privately in a one-on-one space the next day, a coffee meeting date, coffee date, would be really great because you can talk to them more about it and um, really delve into what their feelings are on that topic. But having these events, and we've seen a lot of reality TV. It does. It's, it's not. It's not. It's not. That's not good conversationalist. Being a good conversationalist, you need to navigate, pull back, navigate away from bad conversations, and be able to switch through different points in the conversation. So I know sometimes we get going down one train of thought and someone says, says something and you really want to add on to that. You say yes. And then someone else jumps in and they completely shift the conversation. Now in a reception, a cocktail hour, this is really not the time to pull back and step on someone else's toes to try to get back on the track you want, unless it really is the overall point, you know, of the the small talk, just let it go and go hop to the next conversation. It makes you more, no, I hate to just say agreeable because that might seem like a bad term, but it does. And that's something that is good. People want to be in your company. And that's the main point of being a good conversationalist. You also have to be pretty well read and knowledgeable about popular culture, what's going on, because people live in different spheres. And so 
one thing as a sociologist and um, an international like political scientist, I care a lot about different cultures and spaces and um, how we communicate and the pol- politics behind disbeliefs and X, Y, and Z. And that's really, really important as you navigate these conversations because you see, okay, well, this group talk, thinks a lot about this, this, and this, or this is defensive, and I shouldn't go down that road, or this is something that might land with them, or if, even if it's outdated, they'll, they'll appreciate me trying and that I showed some, I showed some interest in something that is a part of their identity or something positive and not offensive, okay? Like a movie, you know, if I'm not, for instance, I speak Chinese, stuff like that, I'm through some of my Chinese programs, I've seen older um, movies, like old ones from the 80s, 90s that the teachers loved, of course, and then um, other ones from the early 2000s, but not new ones, but just the fact that I've seen them, some of my classics, it's a bonding thing. I know that they're not new. I know that they're not like the hip thing. They know it, but it's just that I'm trying. And so that's part of being a good conversationalist. It's really making the person that you're talking to like know that you value them. Um, but with that, it's something that comes that's hard for some people, and that's being authentic. Now, you're not putting on a show. When you're well-read, it naturally comes like, oh, this may be a point. I read this. What do you think about that? And it's just natural. But I've had people where we're where spaces where it's more of, um, like we were talking about before, like an international sense of people from a lot of different countries and whatnot. And while I'm from the deep South, I'm from Decatur where it's greater in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, when I'm in these spaces, I don't have the accent that I had even regularly. I don't have the accent that I had, uh, growing up. Right. So when I'm with people who I know did not have these accents and do not have these accents, I don't want them to flip it on when they're around me, especially when we're in these bigger groups, because then it makes me feel uncomfortable. And it's not my role to have to eat this this discomfort that I did not ask for. And me being here should not create, but then make you feel like it's not a problem or it's not awkward for me. No, 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 no. As a good conversationalist, you need to be authentic to who you are. If you speak a certain way, you continue to speak that way. For instance, you don't, hey, girl, me, what's up? What it do? But, well, we all paid $400 ticket to be here, presumably. Um, I didn't come to you like that. And if I did, that would be one thing, you know? And if that's the way... But I didn't, and so it becomes offensive, and you don't want to do that. You don't want to alienate anybody or make them feel like you don't really see them, that it's just a front, and that you're not really valuing them. Because it just makes your eyebrows, like, scrunch up, like, why? Why? You know, or, like, um, just using slang and talking about, especially if you're a man, using slang and talking about a woman's physique and stuff like that, like, things are inappropriate especially in business settings do not do you're not being a good gentleman person um but also conversations because in no point do you want to make someone feel um uncomfortable or 
especially in business, you, you don't want to make them feel like sexualized too, which is something that is important. So what is it, how do you know if you're a good public speaker? You might have really great thoughts and you know that people aren't communicating these thoughts, but does that mean that you're a great public speaker? Mm, let's look into that. So when we talk about public speaking, we're thinking about your tone, your pace, and yes, your accent. Like I said before, I'm from Decatur, where it's greater, and one of the noticeable things about our accents from back home is that everything ends with an A. So um, everything's like finna, gonna, better, shoulda, coulda, had a Decatur, you know. I never, I didn't start saying Decatur until I left and I was in other spaces. It was always Decatur, you know. Um, and for a long time, I didn't really know the ends of words and, like, and enunciating them and whatnot. But when I left and went to boarding, like, went to, like, a boarding day school up north, as a young child, I was kind of, or I was 12, 13, pushed by other kids out of that accent and made fun of a little bit. And this was the first space time I was really, like, really living and being as an adolescent in the place I was at the South and did not have the same accent. So it was, like, I didn't know why. Yeah. But also, I heard I was starting to understand why my mom, who's not from the South, when I was growing up, um, I would get very frustrated because she, I would never say the ends of my words, and so she never knew what I was talking about. So I would have to say a sentence three or four or five times and never get to the ultimate point because she was like, what is the word? You're, what, what, what are you saying to me? So when it comes to public speaking, you want to be able to enunciate everything. It doesn't mean that you have an English accent or anything like that, but that people are able to follow what you're saying. They connect with you. Again, it feels authentic. So it's not putting on someone else's oh, I like this is how they speak, and so I'm going to do that. But it may help you with your accent, you know. It, not to say that kind of stuff can't help you with your accent. Um, you then want to start thinking about the tone. Now, one of my things personally is that I have a very energetic, bubbly, and high voice. Even on the phone, I get a lot of immediate stuff like, oh, wow, you just, you know, brightened up my day. Literally, like, oh, like, because I get on the phone, I'm like, hi, I'm really excited, and I'm uh, uh, genuinely excited about the person that I'm talking to, and it comes out in my voice, which, like, I guess other people might feel that, wait, that same whatever, sensation feeling or whatever, but it just doesn't come out. But unfortunately, while it makes you feel really good and, and, oh, wow, like, I should be on this call, I should be talking to this person, the other hand, when your our tone becomes too high, it can read off as immature or overly nervous. Also, for me, my brain works a bazillion times faster than my my mouth sometimes, so sometimes it's like, I'm searching for the right words or putting it together of all the different things that I'm thinking about in the different layers and how I can convey to someone else. But when I do that, it makes the tone feel shaky and it doesn't inspire as much confidence in the other person 
versus when I have the words ready on my tongue and I can just keep going and it's smooth. So when you have a tone that is more consistent and natural and calm, it inspires confidence. On the other hand, when you have a tone that is too low and it's too monotone, it can perhaps not register with people or what you're saying. So, like, I've actually had guy friends that, like, literally, their voices were so deep. Like, yes, I heard what they were saying. I heard the words. But it just was not... I, it, like, and they've done studies where some men just with some of the why they say selective wives say selecting hearing but when it gives a certain age when their pitch is too high they really can't get it all and translate everything so like sometimes when it's too low not that some people might not be able to get it all but also that it might bore them or they might feel like it's not important what you're saying even though the content is the same so really thinking about your tone pace is something too if you speak too quickly and you give too much content, it can frustrate the other person, the listener, because they can't keep up and their brain can't process everything that you're saying. And then at a certain point, it's just like a bump it, you know, just forget it. I'm tapping out. Just keep all this to yourself. Um, on the other hand, I'm from the South. I'm, I've always been a much faster talker than most people around me. And a lot of that's because of my energy and having a billion things going on again in my mind, right? But when I have some of my friends who talk so slowly and they really draw it out, while I love how it sounds, it can um, make me kind of lose interest or not take it with as much significance because it's like you you don't have any urgency in communicating this thing to me. So it can't be that important or that, that dire or whatnot. So you have to think about your tone. And finally, like we said before, your accent, if your accent is too thick, no matter where you're from, it can attract people and it can make people focus on that versus the content. And at the end of the day, when you're a public speaker, whether it's scripted or unscripted, it's all about communication and what you're telling people. So with that, I want to leave you quickly with um, 10 tips for improving your verbal communication with 10 steps to improving your verbal communication when it comes to event speeches. First, Brainstorm all thoughts on the topic. Everything, just write it out. Two, start, write it out and sort it on a piece of paper so that it, start looking, it starts to look like an essay, kind of. Three, edit it, condense the paragraphs. When we were younger, we used to have those, how can you conjoin two different sentences and make it one, like one compact sentence with all the information. Now we're going to take that skill and try to do it with three sentences so that every sentence you have, really, you're getting the most out of, you're getting the most impact and content, and you're really utilizing the time that you have, and you're not going over, and you feel confident that you said everything you need to say. Four, memorize your speech by saying it 
a 50 bazillion times. Five, as once you have the words down, start adding in facial expressions, pauses, and gestures. This helps you quote unquote land the different points that you have, like comedi great comedians land their jokes. Then before your speech, this is number six, breathe and shake out all of those nervous energy. And literally, I like to do like a full body shake, okay, which like makes people around me, they like when you're off in the wing, no one can see you or behind the stage or whatnot. It makes everybody laugh and it also gives them good like, okay, you know, you ready? It takes air out of the situation, lightens it up or whatever. But it also gets the nervous energy out of me so I can shine. Other people, you might want to put your hands to your side and just shake, 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 shake your hands and get rid of all that nervous energy too. Then when you go out onto the stage, number seven, you want to smile at the crowds, try to smile at everybody and take a few deep breaths before you begin your speech. Just let it sink in. Like almost how this, dang it, I'm here, can you believe it type of moment, but to yourself, like, as an audience, it makes you look distinguished, or like, wow, they're really reflecting on what they're going to say, but for you, you can be collecting yourself before you, you go into number eight, the leap, and you leap into the speech, which is a beautiful thing, and next thing you know it, you're almost through, and you're thinking number nine, to remember to pace yourself to use your gestures, and when you freeze up, think about what your hands or your body is supposed to do, and it'll guide you. It'll guide you back into your speech, and it's natural, and no one will know the difference because at the most, it just seemed like you paused to let the, the point sink in. Number 10, relax. You did it. You just finished your best speech ever. Congratulations. Now, for unplanned communications that are not like the speeches um, that we have, unplanned communication could be business calls, panel discussions, things like that. The number one rule is heavy preparation. Before you enter the call or the panel room, you want to have all your main points, talking points, as bullet points um, on a sheet of paper that is easy to read. You want to have your goals to statistics with the sources so that if anybody wants to challenge you, you can refer them to where to go to look more on that topic. You want to have why you are especially qualified for X, what you've accomplished, your um, success in that industry, and um, what people should be thinking about. Your, your call to action. So your business call, it might be the deal, and you want to have that good clothes and you want to remind yourself of that but once you have all the stuff it becomes very easy for you to make sure that all the main points that you need they're covered within this communication that you know um at the end of the day that the ask was made and that you can move forward and you're not leaving like darn it i didn't accomplish what i was what i was meant to accomplish or i wasted the time because as we all know this is very valuable time now I thank you for taking the time today to listen to another episode of Real's Events Podcast. This week's podcast special guest is Ned Stabler, and he has had an amazing ability of verbally communicating why Tech Town is important to the different 
um, local neighborhoods around Greater Detroit, but also it's important as an entity for the businesses and future business leaders that we have in our community that perhaps are not yet realized. I would love for you to go ahead and shoot me a couple comments on this week's episode using my social media handle at real underscore events, R-I-E-L-L-E underscore E-V-E-N-T-S. And let me know what you're thinking, if this was helpful. Next week's topic, we're going to go deep into our written forms of communication and messaging. And next week's podcast guest will be the dynamic, phenomenal Detroit executive woman herself, Sharon Banks. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing from you all. www.realevents.com Providing feedback lets us know what we're doing right and what you'd like for us to talk more about and it also provides more visibility so other listeners can enjoy our programming and elevate their events. For more event planning tips, inspiration, and assistance, please visit realevents.com R-I-E-L-L-E E-V-E-N-T-S dot com. We want to give a special thanks to everyone who made this week's episode possible. Our episode research and writing by Riel Jones, a real events in Atlanta, Georgia and Southeast Michigan. Our music producers, Mizzle and Swaz by Dream State Studios LLC in Atlanta, Georgia. And our podcast producer, Mizzle at Dream State Studios LLC in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you again for listening to another episode of Real's Events Podcast. Until next time, Zai Jian.